Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's uh, weekly tour podcast where we take a look at everything that's going on in the world of golf. My name is Neil Tappan, I'm the digital editor at Golf Monthly and I'm joined this week uh, by Nick Bonfield. Nick, hello. Good morning. Uh, and our resident betting expert, Tom Clark. Tom, nice to see you. Uh, lovely to see you too, Neil. Well, that's a bit creepy. Um, Anyway, we are talking about, the first thing on our list to talk about is the big story of the week that revolves around a man by the name of Russell Knox, a man that um, many people won't know an awful lot lot about. He's um, sort of plugged away on the PGA Tour for a couple of years now and done fairly well in his own right without kind of making the headlines too much. Um, But he's Scottish and he's just come in and won a WGC event um, kind of out of nowhere. Nick, it's why we love this sport, isn't it? Seeing people come out of nowhere and win great tournaments like this, it it really makes for compelling viewing. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that sets golf apart from sports like tennis, where you'll see Novak Djokovic winning every other event throughout the course of a year. Uh, Knox was scraping around on the mini tours in America for a few years, barely covering his expenses. Got a late invite into this event when JB Holmes withdrew, and I think that obviously helped him because he came in with nothing to lose. But it just shows how quickly you can turn things around in golf, and one week can be the difference between scraping around on the mini tours and an extremely lucrative career. And so many different storylines emanate from every tournament, and that's why it is such compelling viewing. And he's a, as I said before, he's a Scot who's gone in and won a WGC event, the first Scot to do so. Um, Tom. Was this as much of a shock as I'm making it out, or is there anything in his kind of back catalogue this year that would suggest he was capable of coming in and winning a WGC event? Um, no, there was no. I, I didn't see anybody tip him, or even consider him, or even mention him in any of the betting blogs. Mainly because he wasn't actually supposed to be playing until very late on in the day. And when I w- woke up in the morning, on you know, because having the tournament overnight, uh, and saw he was leading. The first I thought, oh, that's nice. Russell Knox is actually playing, played a good round of golf. Then he played the second round, of good round of golf. And then Saturday morning, and I woke up, he's still leading. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who's going to pip him to the post on Sunday. So it was a great surprise that he won. But it was a great, it, you know, it, I think um, a lot of our Twitter followers, a lot of the Scottish Twitter followers were really over the moon that he had uh, done so well. Um, but it was a huge surprise when you think of the people who were in that field, Spieth and McIlroy. So, you know the two main ones, but um, even the the guys around him, you would thought, you know, he would fade away, but he, he you know, he he held on. And Nick, looking at um, looking at where things stand currently, he's moved himself into thirty first in the world rankings, which is really a strong position going into a Ryder Cup years. Um, he's going to need to make a decision now, isn't he? He, he faces a very difficult um, call to make over the winter because. The position that he's in now, he's got a great chance now of making down, down Clark's Ryder Cup side. But in order to do that, he's going to need to play a few European Tour events. Um, Nick, what's your, your take on what he should do? Oh, I think whilst there are vast riches in this game, that is the pinnacle of the Ryder Cup. And I'd be very surprised if he didn't choose to take up European Tour membership, especially given now he's in the top 50, so he gets invites to all the major events. So ultimately, he'll only need to play six other events over the course of the following season in order to be eligible for selection. And quite honestly, I don't think it was on his radar uh, up until two days ago. It wasn't something he was thinking about. Now he would be foolish, in my view, not to, because it's not a huge quota to hit. And that is ultimately what everyone wants to do in this game. Well, those who are able from Europe and, and America is to play in the Ryder Cup. So if he doesn't, I think it would say a lot about him personally, and I'd be very surprised. So let's see what he does. Well, an- another man that looks as if he will 
he looks likely to be making his Ryder Cup debut uh, next year at Hazeltine is Danny Willett and he is in second position on the race to Dubai rankings and with his third place finish in, um, in China just gone he's closed the gap to a very narrow 70,000 points, which, granted, doesn't sound like it's very narrow at all, but uh, from what I can gather, that's eminently uh, doable. He can catch Rory McIlroy quite comfortably. Um, Tom, wh- why do you think this year has been so strong for Danny? He, he, he was a very strong amateur. He played extremely good golf for that amateur level. And then he, he, he did well on the, the professional tours when he came out onto the European tour. He did well, but the, 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 the rise was hardly meteoric. Why do you think now... Danny has has emerged from the pack to become a sort of fourth fourth running, sorry, a front running leader heading into the Ryder Cup year. I think mainly is the opportunities that he's managed to to get this year um, from a, you know winning early on in the season. He's then done very well in some of the majors. Uh, actually competed on the Sunday in some of the majors, and that's given him, I think, a little bit of belief that he can actually play very well against the rest of the the, the top players in the world. He's also played an awful lot of tournaments this year and done well in a lot of them. He's played 21 events, whereas Rory's actually only played 11. But that's Rory being Rory. He can pick and choose where he wants to play at the moment. But, um, you know, Danny playing, getting in the top 50, doing well like that, and suddenly he's, he can just show that he can live with the, the best that the uh, game of golf has got. And Nick, what, what an achievement would it be? Give, put into context how big the achievement would be. Well done, will it there? I saw that. Well done, Neil. <laughs> Very good, yes. What uh, achievement will it be for Danny Willett to win the race to Dubai? Well, it would be an enormous achievement, obviously, but I think an important point to note here is the importance of timing in golf. He won an extremely lucrative event in December when all the pressure was off in a 30-man field. Oh, harsh and words here. I, I've said for a number of months now that I don't think the Nedbank should be an official European Tour event. Now, I was absolutely fine when it was a jolly a couple of years ago and it didn't count towards the race to Dubai. But now there's massive money now in it. Now there's massive money involved, massive world ranking points and only 30 people, the people who aren't probably going to be struggling to keep their cards at the end of the season anyway, play. And you see it with Ross Fisher as well. He came second there and hasn't really done a great deal for the rest of the season. He's still extremely high up on the rankings. And will it? that just took all the pressure off him for the season. Admittedly, he did very well at the Open Championship and held his nerve nicely. But that really did set him up and... I do have some reservations about that. Having said that, storming through the pack with a 10 under par final round in an event with some of the best players in the world really does say quite a lot about his constitution. And now he's, what, as you say, 70,000 points shy, and with I think it's 1,300,000 points for the winner of the following two events, he is right there. Okay, so, so given what you just said about the Ned Bank and, and how that's slightly, possibly an unfair advantage given to, to Danny the win there. Do you think he's now capable of kicking on and becoming one of the world's top players? Well, I think if you look at his game, he doesn't seem to have much weakness. He's honed it well on the European Tour, travelling around all these various different countries that the European Tour circuit visits. I think he's a well-rounded player. He's strong mentally nowadays, and most importantly, in golf, he's got that self-belief now. And it, it, it genuinely wouldn't be a shock to see him lifting the race to Dubai Trophy, and that's just a mark of how far he's come this season. I, I think it's actually quite nice that he is doing very well because he's someone who is playing on the European tour. He's not someone who's playing a huge amount in America, although he's played the odd event. Uh, and he's actually, you know, played there the whole year, said, right, you know what, I'm going to go around, I'm going to go to all these different places. And he's done well, and now he's reaping the, the rewards. And does that mean that he will stay on the European tour next year, Tom? You would have to ask him that. Um, the PJ Tour obviously does have 
a huge amount of riches. Um, but it, I, I'd hope he would do. And a lot of things came out the last uh, last week or so about what golfers going to actually have to do to keep a European Tour membership. Maybe it's going to get reduced down to just five events. So that would be interesting to see if that would make a difference. And perhaps if that did happen, it would mean that they'd be able to be a little bit more flexible and still play in a few of the events that they, they really wanted to. Is the Sorry, just a button here. The point of bringing Keith Pelly in as a new chief executive was to make sure that all these Europeans didn't swan off to the PGA Tour. How is reducing the number of events they have to play going to solve this problem? I, I think, if anything, it might mean that, although the, there will obviously be people who will go to America, you'd hope that actually a few of the really top names will actually come over and play in a few more European events because actually they go, you know what, I've only got to play in five events and then I can um, get into the end of season bring a wheelbarrow and get loads of money um, tournaments and you know why not and it'd be great to get those big games uh, big names back over yeah I definitely agree that bringing the Americans over is should be a focal point but I've had this discussion with quite a lot of people over the last couple of weeks and no one has yet to present a, a suitable argument as far as I'm concerned as to why Paul Casey can't play 13 events on the European tour when eight of them are made well the well to be fair Nick that that's his decision and it, it's probably based on him wanting to play the best golf that he possibly can and achieve certain things in his career if he doesn't feel like he can do it across 13 events um, traveling the transatlantic then that's his call anyway we, we did cover this off in last week's podcast so please feel free to um, to have a listen to that because we talk quite a, a, in, in, at length about the state of the European Tour and how um, and and how players might want to manage their schedules. But before we move on, I just want to have a very honourable mention for Matthew Fitzpatrick, who finished seventh in the WGC. Obviously, he's in a great run of form at the moment. No one on the European Tour has had more top tens than Matt Fitzpatrick uh, this year. Um, Nick, a quick word on on his achievement this year. Um, has he had a better year than Danny Willett? Ooh, on the spot there. Uh, yes, I would have to say so. Um, being his first year out on tour, he also had to deal with pretty high expectation levels given the fact that he won the US Amateur, was it 2013? The first Englishman to do that for something like 105 years, something yeah. like that. Uh, I think the consistency's been extremely impressive because a lot of these young guys come out and they have a couple of good weeks and they're obviously very talented to get to where they are in the first place, but to be able to maintain that sort of level on a consistent basis, win on home soil, perform as well as he has done in China uh, on his World Golf Championship debut... Uh, it's hugely impressive whereas if you look at Willett he's obviously played very well very consistently too but if you take that win uh, in December in South Africa out of the equation <laughs> and really just compare the 2015 just leaving it get over it okay? <laughs> don't worry about Sorry. it uh, I think on balance you'd have to say that Fitzpatrick has probably just edged him uh, obviously that will change if he then wins the race to Dubai but he's heading towards Rookie of the Year and I don't really see no, any other challenge no you wouldn't have thought so would you and Tom what, what, as, the, as the resident betting expert what's, what, what are Matt's um, big strengths what well I, be I'm a big other? fan of Matthew Fitzpatrick mainly due because I actually tipped him to win at the British Masters when he did so well done Matthew top man um, <laughs> I owe you a pint slash two um, I, you know I think he's had a, he had a slow start to the year Again, if you look at his stats, he's played in 30 events, more than most people uh, on the European Tour. He's only just outside the top 10. He's, he's 12th at the moment. If he gets into the top 10 with a good result this week, then he uh, qualifies for the big bonus pool uh, going into the uh, DP World Tour Championship. So, what, What's that? Sorry, I... Just, can you just so explain you, for our listeners yes, what the big bonus is? It sounds like something I'd like to be a part of. Yeah, well, I yes, I think. So if you qualify uh, in the top 10, you 
I'm not sure the, the amount off the top of my head, but if you qualify in the, the top 10 going into the final event, then that means that you get a cut of a large amount of money, more than if you finish 11th. Oh. So, well. yeah, you do want to be in the top 10, and he's, he's, he's got a massive chance of doing that. Um, it just shows that if you find form at the right time of the season, then really, you, you know, you can do really well. And he's just, Pippi, you know, he's just doing so well at this end, this end point. He's definitely one to look out for for the Ryder Cup as well, I think. Um, he's got all, all the attributes. If, he's, if he gets into a Ryder Cup at his age, he could play in it for the next 20-odd years and he could be a real talisman for the European team, which would be superb. But, you know, the, we've had the Maniceros who you thought, oh, he's going to come through and do that. Maniceros never played in the Ryder Cup yet, even though he's won on tour three times or whatever it is. So you know, he's one that really could really push on and be a, a great Englishman to, to look out for. Definitely, and I think relative to his expectation levels when he started out, he was just hoping to secure his card. Whether that was a case of him managing expectation levels or not, we don't know. But he certainly performed very admirably as compared to what he was hoping to achieve when he set out. Um, good way to uh, heap lots of pressure on his shoulders there, Tom. I'm sure he'll <laughs> appreciate you saying he'll be a talisman for the next 20 years in the Ryder Cup. You um, heard it here first. But by all accounts, he's a great bloke as well. So we, we wish him well and we will be following his progress very closely over the next um, few years. But on to our next talking point from the weekend. I think... Um, it would be remiss not to talk a little bit about Jordan Spieth and Spieth, the, the Spieth-McElroy um, uh, rivalry, which we saw again at the weekend. Jordan Spieth now comfortably world number one. He, he looks like you know our, our current world number one, doesn't he? he? He looks like the best player in the world. He seems to be able to go out week in, week out against the best players in the world, having just come off a big break or or not, whatever the case may be. And he seems to be able to... Um, perform at the very highest level. Um, Nick, a quick word on where, where Jordan Speed's game is at and, and what can this guy go on to achieve? Uh, is I he as good as we think he is? Is he genuinely a contender for some, as somebody that can go out there and, and get double-figure number of majors? Can he win 10 majors in his career? Oh, without doubt. He's got the temperament to do it. He's got the all-round skill set to do it. He's got the belief to do it. And he's probably the best putter in the game. That all adds up to a pretty successful career, you would think. What I would say about the McElroy-Spieth rivalry is that I think if Spieth brings his best and McElroy wins his best, McElroy just edges him. He's just got that little bit more flair at times. But I think there was a stat that came out recently which was very interesting that McElroy had uh, gained more strokes, something like five strokes off the tee as compared to the field and Spieth had gained five strokes on the putting green. So they're pretty much neck and neck at this point. I just think when they both bring their A game, McElroy's just got that little bit more. But that's not to say both of them won't go on to win for 10 plus majors and, and to be honest at this point you'd have to say you'd be surprised if they didn't given their relative ages OK so quick question for you Tom um, let's say we're, we're at the Open next year and uh, Thursday morning um, Jordan Spieth is in group number 14 Rory McIlroy is in group number 20 who do you follow? Uh, Bubba Watson <laughs> no no, uh, no, uh, no I, um, I, I'd watch Rory McIlroy because I think Nick's touched on it. He has got that slight f- flair about him. He does hit the ball so far. It's, it's scary. And everyone likes watching a ball get hit really far. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, at the moment, what I say is actually, I don't think we've actually seen a quite the fair fight uh, between the two because of Rory's injury uh, at the end of the season. And then he had this food poisoning this week as well. So, 
you know, I don't think we've quite seen the best of it yet, which is really great. And also, we haven't mentioned Jason Day, of course, as well, who wasn't playing this week, but he's been playing so well recently as well. So um, it's pretty exciting. But I, you know, I would like to see a 100% healthy Rory first against Jordan. And so, so project forward one year. Who's world number one? Um, if it's not Matthew Fitzpatrick, then uh, <laughs> no, well, I think I think it would be Rory. To be honest with you, I, I just think he's. He's he's been there. He's done it. He's then gone away and then come back and done it already. And I just think he's now really getting into almost his peak. I'm going to say Jason Day here um, because of the fact that he drives the ball as well as McElroy. Really, um, really. When he's playing well, which he seems to be doing all the time at the moment, he hits a lot of fairways and he he hits it longer than McElroy. Uh, when he's when he's on top form and his putting. Is, Consider myself back in my box there. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, his putting is insanely good as well when he's on form. And look at the uh, the PGA when he holds something like 58 of 60 putts within 10 feet. And um, if you're driving it long and straight and holding a monstrous number of putts, then it's going to be very difficult. So, so why, why if Jason Day has all of these great attributes, Nick, why has he been off the radar until relatively off the radar in comparison to Spieth and McIlroy until he won? Um, the, the the PGA, I guess, this year until he actually stepped up and won a major. Why was he sort of slightly detached from that group of the world's best? Uh, some people take longer than others to fulfil their talent. You see it across all sports. And I think and now he's got over that line, he's just it's just going to be a, a snowball effect from here on in because he firmly believes in his own ability and firmly believes that he is the best player in the world. And if you believe that genuinely yourself, then that's the main starting point and that's the, the starting point that you really kick on from. And he is... Uh, it's been well documented, the struggles he's been through. Um, maybe he struggled to adapt to life on tour initially, but although he only won for the first time this year, he's been challenging in majors for the best part of five years. So now he's got over the line, you have to imagine that there's going to be a number of majors more to follow over the coming years. And he's still young himself as well. I know he's not as young as uh, Spieth and McIlroy, but he's still got 20 years of peak form ahead of him if he stays healthy. Well, it is a, a very exciting prospect and... 2000 and we, well I think we need it in golf really don't we we need a great rivalry we, we've been through the Tiger Woods era which was absolutely fantastic to watch where Tiger was capable of doing things that no other player has, has able, been able to do but now we're moving into an era where we look as if we're going to have a big three or four you know add Ricky Fowler into that as well where we, we, we've got some absolutely first class players who are very very exciting who are capable of winning um, in, in incredible ways and it's not just being able to win tournaments it's how you win them and I think we all agree that we, we'd probably rather watch Rory uh, over Jordan Spieth just because of the way in which he goes about his business because he has that little bit of X factor but whoever ends up on top this time next year it's sure to be um, a very exciting year um, but that's, let's leave the, the WGC for now and move on to the next tournament in the European Tours final series which is at Lake Malloran in Shanghai um, is have, that, you, have you been there? Uh, funnily enough, I have, yes. Oh, I, 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 I lo- my, my luggage got lost on the way to it, so I wore the same T-shirt for three days, which was um, an experience I'm not looking to repeat. Um, however, uh, Shanghai, a great city, um, and this tournament is gathering a bit of momentum in terms of it, it, it is a fixture on the European tour that people want to play in, people want to be at. Um, now that we've seen the golf course a few times in the last few years, um, who do we think has got the game? to do the business in Shanghai? Well, um, Justin Rose is the, uh, the favourite in the, with the bookies, and that's not really a shock. I mean, you can probably get him at about 5-1 to one, 
uh, which is very short odds. Um, but um, you know, there's a few there's a few big names. There's no, there's no Rory. There's no John Spieth this year, uh, this week. So he's obviously going to be the one to look out for. Uh, also, Henrik Stenson's also in the field as well. So he, you know, he he's also one. They're, they're just great ball strikers. Um, on their day, if they really get it going, it's very hard to, for the rest of the guys to just stick with them. So that's the reason why that you know that they're that they're there. Um, but if you look if you look through the field, there's there's plenty of of, of, of good names there. You know, Victor Dubisson's back. If he stopped crying, I'm sure he has now. <laughs> um, Fitzpatrick, that you know we've already mentioned him already, and I think he's a very uh, tasty looking 25 to one to do well. So. Um, and as I already mentioned, he, if he has a good week this week, then he does get into that top ten. The one that I've highlighted on my little bit of paper in front of me is Andy Sullivan. Andy Sullivan has won three times this year, and between those three wins, he's either really good or really, really poor. Um, and that's why he's 66 to one, and he won only a few weeks ago. So maybe he, you know, I think he'd be worth maybe putting a few pounds on. But um, they're the ones I think to, to look out for really first up. 66 to 1 for Andy Sullivan looks very long and that, that, that does appear to me to be a, a good option Nick um, having looked at the golf course what sort of player do you think it, it, it suits I, I think it will suit the, the ball strikers um, I think the likes of Stenson Rose you have to well, you struggle to look past them competing in any event particularly Rose coming off a victory on it when similar conditions uh, in a similar part of the world not long ago um, it was surprising to see Rose playing this week and not last week but I suppose that's a, another discussion um, They'll have to hit their quota and they do it whatever way they feel is best for them. But uh, Rose is absolutely flying at the moment. He's the kind of guy that you are surprised when he doesn't finish in the top 10. Uh, Stenson, very solid year as well. But I think this is a tremendous opportunity for Danny Willett this week to usurp Mackerel at the top there. Um, coming into the event with enormous confidence following that 10 under par final round, he'll be absolutely flying at the moment. He will know this is the time to press home that advantage against Mackerel. He's not in the field. So. Were you surprised that he wasn't in the field given how... That that lead at the top is now uh, eminently overtakeable, if that is, if there is such a word, uh, which I don't think there is. But were um, you surprised to not see him in Shanghai? Um, no, I think four weeks nowadays is a fairly long time to play in, in one consecutive stretch, especially when you're going from one part of the world to another. Uh, I think Roy just wants to be fresh for Dubai, and his record is outstanding in Dubai, and I think he just backs himself to go there and get the job done. Uh, as, I don't think, as Mike mentioned it last week, I think he hasn't finished outside the top five there for certainly a number of years. He loves the golf course. Yeah. It's, it's very rare that me and, uh, and, and Nick agree on anything, but I'm completely with him on this. I think Rory's put all his eggs in his Dubai basket and he's just thinking that whoever's on the field, that he's going to beat them, uh, which is great, great confidence. And whether it'll happen or not, you don't know. But um, no, I think Rory's just saying, you know, Bring on Dubai, I'll show you his boss. Yeah, and you have to remember that Rory's been there, done that before, whereas this is completely new kettle of fish and set of emotions for Danny Willett. So we don't know how we'll respond. Even if he responds well, there's every chance that he won't beat McElroy and he may succumb to the pressure as well. So McElroy's probably just put those factors together and decided that he could value the break-off more than um, the chance to actually play and, and get some more points on the board this week. OK, so looking at the field as it stands... Um, we all know who the favourites are. I mean, you've hardly put your necks on the line by saying that you think Justin Rose and, and Henrik Stenz are going to compete. Um, where I, I did mention Andy Sullivan. Oh, yeah, again, he's hardly you're hardly putting your neck on your line, line there, Tom. Um, give us a couple of names of people a little bit further down the list that you think are worthy of 
a pound each way. A whole pound, crikey! Um, well, there's there's one name which really pops out, and I'm hoping it's not going to be the last time we uh, see him at the end. But M- Miguel Angel Jimenez, he's he's you look, you look through the field, and he's always someone obviously that people have you know like to look out for because he's such a character. Uh, and he hasn't had an awful year at all this this season at all. He has seemed to be maybe showing his age the last few months. It, I mean, he's he's. 50 plus now and fair play to the guy for still competing with all these youngsters he's 250 to 1 he's actually usually quite good um, when they play over in the Far East and stuff like that so he might be one to have a, a little pound each way but you know, I, I wouldn't put your mortgage on it Nick? Uh, I think looking at Jakob van Zylen there, um, obviously played very well in Turkey, he's a very talented underrated player and I was speaking to George Kassir not long ago, and he was saying, for some reason, South Africans find it very difficult to, to break away from the sunshine to and actually have success. Well, obviously, there are a few notable examples, but those perhaps on the second tier sometimes struggle. But Van Zyl seems to be a guy who's, who's made that breakthrough, will keep his card for next season, uh, which obviously takes the pressure off in itself. Played well in Turkey, good tee to green player, good talent there. And also, I see Danny Lee in the field, and he's been playing some decent golf recently, and he's really starting to fulfil some of that talent that he showed early in his career as well. And the truth is that the way the European Tour is structured now, a lot of these players, there's absolutely nothing to lose going into this the, this last couple of events of the year. It really is um, the traditional sort of wheelbarrow time of the year where people bring the wheelbarrow, try and collect the cash. There's not, there's not too much to be lost. There's everything to be gained. Absolutely. If you're in the field for this event, you've got job next year. <laughs> and in a lot of these guys' cases, beyond. So go there, have some fun, play some attacking golf. There's some who... <sighs> I guess it's it's completely it's very rare in golf to have a complete basically shootout um, go for it no pressure uh, well early on certainly and, and we'll see a lot of attacking golfers we'll see a lot of birdies and we'll see probably a couple of names surging up the leaderboard who perhaps are not expecting purely because they responded well to that lack of pressure and, and one more name just to put out there Scott Hend which I'm sure everyone is very aware of Australian He's someone that actually, again, won out on the, the, the Far East at the end of last season and actually played very well last week, finishing uh, top 20, I think, in his first WGC. So he's one of those guys that, that Nick's mentioned. He's got, suddenly got no pressure. He's got his card and actually he's a very good player. Uh, and he can, you know, he's, he's a, one of those guys who can suddenly shoot a lot of birdies in a row. So look out for him. He's 125 to 1. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he actually is a member of the Asian Tour, I believe. And so, yeah, very familiar with the conditions that he'll encounter. Yeah, so, but maybe, you know, put your mortgage on him. Well, there you have it. Uh, Scott Hend, apparently, is going to win um, the BMW Masters in Shanghai. Um, That's all for this week. Um, Thank you for listening. We look forward to um, uh, coming back next week to discuss everything that's taken place in Shanghai and look forward to Dubai. Uh, But thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 